Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhage of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, today I have a long, uh, long-time friend and colleague, Deanna Wong, with us. Deanna, how are you? I'm doing well, Roxanne. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. So Deanna uh, has been on the show, and I'm going, goodness, it's been probably almost a year ago now. And uh, I, I, even back then, uh, we had said that we would try to have her back on. And uh, so finally, uh, with her busy schedule, my busy schedule, we were able to get this time today. So previously, uh, now Deanna's story is one of uh, a very fascinating story, and I'd like her to kind of share a bit about that again. But her expertise, I would say, and what she speaks on is around the element of uh, recovering from cancer. And we thought we would talk today a little bit about the implication on um, stress and how that impacts the body and also nutrition. Because she, um, I remember sitting next to her, I don't even know if she remembers this, uh, when we were in Philadelphia. And she, every day, she had this jug of... (laughs) Green stuff. That's all I remember. You know, I was maybe having a coffee and she was having this green stuff. And I remember saying, what is that? And she goes, that's, that's, that's nutrition. So hopefully she'll be able to share a bit about that. So Deanna, thanks. Thanks a lot for being back. So um, tell me a little, tell them a little bit about the story and kind of, um, you know, where this kind of plays into where you are to now and what you've been up to. Sure. Well, I was working as a a physicist in the Air Force, um, and my my last assignment, I was actually in charge of the biological defense um, programs for the Pentagon, and um, that's when I actually got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And uh, my condition basically deteriorated to the point where I ended up in hospice with uh, two collapsed lungs that were filled with fluid and I was given four weeks to live. And um, I am just very grateful because, um, you know, that was about nine years ago when I got diagnosed and uh, I never had chemotherapy or radiation. Um, I really give God thanks uh, for allowing me to really have this miracle in recovery. Um, But along with that, I learned so much, you know, about being proactive, um, uh, you know, for your health. I learned about the importance of diet and nutrition, about the um, emotional aspects of healing, you know, resolving conflicts, traumas. Uh, I also learned about just, you know, the, the fact that we are spirits having a human experience, at least that's what I truly believe, um, the importance of developing that spirituality and faith, because it can be a source of wisdom to tap into and, and that was certainly what I saw in my own journey. There were times when, you know, doctors were really pressuring me to do chemotherapy. And, um, you know, at a, at a point of time when I thought it was really critical, I mean, my life was literally in a balance. Uh, you know, I actually prayed and said, God, if you want me to do the chemo, I will. But, um, you know, just with my background in the military, I, I just kind of understood just the impact it would have on my uh, healthy cells and immune system. And so what I heard back was asked for the cytology report. And what's interesting is back then, I, I did not know what this even meant, <laughs> the word cytology report, but they had just, you know, drawn out all this fluid out of my abdomen and they were going to analyze it. Uh, for cancer cells. And when I initially asked my oncologist for that, uh, he said to me, uh, no, um, you know, 100%, it's, it's going to be malignant and uh, you, you've got to do the chemo. But I pushed back because of what I heard. And um, he finally agreed. Uh, two days later, he came back to me and told me that um, it, it was good that, um, you know, 
that I had these instincts because he said that it came back uh, negative for cancer cells, which actually opened the opportunity, you know, for me to have surgery. And, um, you know, I, I share that because it, it, it was a point where I feel like I got to the end of even what I could figure out with my own mind, with my, you know, just being analytical as a scientist. I, I basically got to a point where I yielded you know, I realized that I could not figure it all out. And I think that's what opened up the opportunity for me to actually heal. Because prior to this, uh, you know, they told me that, you know, while surgery uh, was still an option, it would have a low chance of success. And so that's how I just kept getting worse and worse and, you know, eventually ended up in hospice. And so now uh, I had the opportunity to, to see, you know, take this last ditch effort to, to really try to heal. And, mm. uh, and so gen yeah. generally, if you had taken the guidance, you know, even as a scientist, they were, you know, generally what, what these oncologists would have told you more than likely they were going with what they had seen, but something bigger kind of said to you, look at the cytology report. So in, in essence, what it directed you to is to take this, have the surgery, versus doing the surgery and chemo or were those the options that were in front of you at that time um it was it was always chemo and surgery right okay. um and uh and it, it it was just really i mean i had many doctors say, tell me that it was really a miracle um that i survived it because once they did the surgery you know it was confirmed with the pathology i had a very you know rare malignant form of ovarian cancer um, but I was able to witness actually tumors disappearing. You know, I had tumor in my lung, under my arm. Um, those were not surgically removed. They disappeared on their own. And so I knew there were other variables, you know, in, actually, you know, that, that had contributed to my being able to really recover and survive. And so I, I think that there's just a lot that people can do um, no matter, you know, what kind of crisis, you know, we're facing. Um, and it's important to really be able to tap into that, you know, inner um, intuition or awareness uh, that sometimes it, it kind of transcends our minds even. So let's, let's, so let's go back. So you, you had the, the, uh, or the surgery for the ovarian uh, cancer and then, uh, so then you're recovering and you start to do some things that, that you start to see the impact of other tumors disappearing. Is that, is that what you meant? Yes. And, and even when I was first diagnosed, you know, that's when they, they told me there was also, you know, a lung tumor, but, but I, I saw that disappearing early on. And then even after my surgery, that's when I saw the other tumor in my underarm actually clear up on its own, but that, you know, it took a, a few years. Um, okay. And so um, what that showed me is that some of these natural methods uh, mm -hmm. of, you know, nutrition and, you know, just the, the emotional work, all of that, it, it does take time. Um, and so, you know, someone would have to kind of weigh like, you know, do you have the time to try to, to do this? And I would say in most cases, you know, like with chronic conditions, um, you do because it, 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 you know, for cancer, for example, I mean, it, it, it takes, you know, probably about 20 years, um, you know, for the disease actually develop to where you can detect that there's a tumor. And so during this time, there's, there's so much you can do. And, and even after the diagnosis, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, in my own case, I really feel like, you know, when I was told that I had cancer, um, the oncologist, I think she was very uh, well-meaning, very caring, um, but I also sensed her fear and, 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 and she had a sense of urgency, like we, we've got to do chemo like immediately to shrink the tumor. Um, mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit about... Um inflammation because you had shared and I know your stories for so for others that maybe haven't listened to the last podcast for years and years you had been 
um, keeping up levels of activity. I remember sometimes you're talking as a, you know, as a physicist, you had sometimes 16, 18 hour days. And um, obviously you're quite gifted to, to be able to, to do what you do, but it, you, you kind of intuitively knew that you were, you had said, shared that you were tired a lot and, and, you know, you were consumed obviously with your work. Um, and, and you had some of the signs years before. And if you're telling me a tumor takes almost 20 years, that's a long time for, yes. you know, of, of your, of, of getting these messages. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how that might impact the body, right? Obviously you were under uh, an immense amount of stress um, and, you potentially, maybe you were ignoring the signs, maybe you were trying some things, but the body was in a state of dysregulation. And what that means is that the body was out of, of sync. It was out of balance for a long time. So let's talk a little bit about what we know about inflammation and stress and from your perspective, uh, you know, what you've learned since and what kind of, some of the things that you applied to help kind of um, with, that, with, the, with the body to potentially impact these tumors going away. Yeah, so I, I worked very long hours, and um, what I saw was that, you know, I wasn't getting enough sleep. You know, I'd go to bed later than I thought I should, and I just thought it came with the territory. You know, I, I never thought twice about it, and so, you know, feeling tired, uh, not as energetic, that was sort of a, a given, you know, and I didn't question it. Um, what I've since learned is that you do have to question it. And when you feel even the least bit fatigued, um, that's your body talking to you. Um, and so, um, you know, part of what I learned is, is just the importance of a circadian rhythm. Uh, because if you go to bed, you know, like past, uh, you know, like say 10 o'clock at night, you know, between 10 and 2, the very critical time, that's when a lot of the hormones you know, are being released in the body and, um, you know, they're antioxidant in nature and a lot of the healing, the repair begins when we sleep. But if we're awake at that time and, you know, I've heard people say, well, I still get eight hours of sleep, but I like to go to bed at one in the morning. Well, that's not the same because, you know, you, you've not allowed those hormones to be, you know, generated and released. And so um, when you're resting, it, it's really not as restful. Um, and so, you know, the, the importance of that was really key. I wasn't getting enough sunshine, you know, uh, that's also very key, you know, to expose yourself to morning sunlight, um, when it's, uh, at sunrise, you know, I wasn't doing that. I was getting to work so early. It was still dark in the morning. By the time I left, it was, you know, nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock at night. Wow. Um, so I was exposed you know, to artificial lights as well. Uh, I've worked in offices with no windows and uh, it, it took a toll. And so that all creates inflammation. Inflammation is really, it's, it's the first step in, in several stages of disease. Um, any kind of chronic illness, you know, whether it be arthritis, diabetes, uh, cancer, um, you know, it always starts with inflammation and that's really, it's, it's, it occurs when, uh, you know, I, I like to talk about pH and all this, you know, um, which is looking at the acid alkaline balance in the body. And, uh, you know, and, and when I talk about this, I'm not referring to blood pH because uh, the, the pH of your blood is, has to be between a very narrow window, you know, usually around between like 7.35 to 7.43. If it falls outside of that range, um, you know, we'll actually die. So our body goes through just um, a, a lot of effort to maintain that blood pH. And the way it does that is if, it, if the body becomes too acidic, then what happens, like, you know, it, it will actually draw, uh, you know, what's the, what's the most alkaline um, place in the body? It's mm -hmm. the bones, right? It's uh, your teeth. And so if your body pH, and what I mean by that is really the, um, you know, just the fluids that are, you know, surrounding your cells, if, if th that fluid becomes too acidic, then 
it's going to pull minerals like calcium and all that to try to buffer that acidity. Mm. And, and so if you think about it, you know, so many people like women, especially, you know, start to get osteoporosis, um, mm -hmm. you know, when they get older. Um, and, and, and see, I don't think that a lot of these conditions are necessarily tied to, you know, old age or, you know, middle age or whatever. It, it's, it's really because it's an accumulation over a lifetime. And if this, you know, just basic things with, with the pH, if it's not been addressed, then this can happen. And the other significant thing about this pH, you know, why it's important, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not simply chemistry. So um, I, I want to bring in sort of a, a biophysics kind of perspective in all this as well. Um, the reason why pH is important is because, you know, our cell membranes, there's a voltage um, potential voltage difference that allows it's that difference in voltage that allows nutrients to get into the cell and then mm. it also allows toxins to be released from the cells and so if that voltage drops okay then and, and because the fluids around the cell becomes too acidic then the cell is going to be it's going to become less permeable it's it, you know it senses mm. it and it just becomes kind of hardened, if you will. And so pH is really bringing in more electrons to create a higher voltage potential in the cell. And when it drops, that's when the pH shifts towards acidity. Um, oh, wow. What a, what a, I couldn't have explained that in a better way. What a simple way to put it, Deanna, because... If you look at it like that, so that electromagnetic pulse, naturally our body knows what to do with it. But when it starts to be on an alignment, and if we're saying 20 years, think about that, you're going to let in certain toxins that should be kind of going out and your nutrition's not going to be taking in what it needs. So that, that's where we kind of look at that. It's, like a, it's like a, almost like a bit of a force field around the cells then. Yes, yes. And it's a force field, not only around the cells, but each organ. And we, we are energetic beings. So, so frequencies, uh, each organ has its own characteristic frequency that's optimal. And so when you get this drop, you know, even at the cellular level, it, it will trickle up to tissues and then organs. When organs don't have the, the voltage potential they need to, to really operate, that's when, you know, you start getting diseases, you know, um, other organs may compensate, but, you know, if it's over the span of 10, 20, 30 years, the body can only compensate so much. And, and that's the, the other thing that I want to bring in that's kind of interesting is that um, part of, you know, you know, we started off talking about inflammation, part of what triggers inflammation in today's uh, age that a lot of people may not even think about is um, cell phone towers and, and Wi-Fi radiation. That, that is a non-native or man-made electromagnetic field. Um, and it's not compatible with our biological electrical fields, electromagnetic fields. And, um, and so that exposure and see, that was my background, you know, I, I, working as a physicist. I was exposed to a lot of these different, um, you know, electromagnetic fields. And I really believe that that was one of the contributing factors to my getting cancer. But that creates inflammation as well in the cells. It also creates this oxidative stress because um, there's a researcher named uh, Dr. Mar Martin Paul, a PhD who basically has uh, identified that these non-native electromagnetic fields actually um, disrupts the voltage-gated ch calcium uh, channel ions. And so what that means is that, um, you know, usually calcium remains outside of the cells, but when you're exposed to these, um, you know, non-native electromagnetic fields, it actually causes an efflux of these calcium ions into the cells. And so if you think, you know, just, you know, phys physiologically, what that means is, you know, that's going to create, um, you know, like muscle spasms and all that on, on a, you know, kind of a anatomical level, but 
at, at a cellular level, this, this just massive influx of, of calcium ions can affect your heart. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it, it's just really massive, but it creates this oxidative damage. And, you know, that's really, um, you know, to break that down, it's, uh, you know, a free radical when that comes in, basically what that is, is it's like a molecule that's basically, you know, missing uh, a paired electron. And so it's going to seek out, um, an, you know, an electron. And usually that comes at the cost of, you know, the, the molecules that are in your body. And so the, there's this whole cycle um, that, that happens. And the end result of that oxidative damage is that these um, non-native electromagnetic fields can actually cause um, uh, single and double-stranded DNA breaks. Wow. So, so think about it. I mean, people are more attached to their cell phones than their family members, jokingly. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're all walking around with one of these. So what, sh what should we do? Because if we're saying that, you know, the magnetic fields that basically these, these uh, cell phones work on, we're constantly around them now. So are there things that you would suggest? Because, I mean, obviously it's part of how our society runs now. So if that's the case and it has that oxidative element to stress on our bodies, what are some things that we could potentially do? Um, well, I'll share with you some of the things I've done for myself, which is um, one of the things I did was to first get rid of my home cordless phone and I switched back to the old fashioned landlines, you know, with the little curly yeah, yeah. coil. Um, I also got rid of my um, Wi-Fi modem. I bought my own modem that is non-transmitting. And so I've directly hardwired with the ethernet cable uh, to my laptop. And I turned off the Wi-Fi, um, you know, on my laptop. The other thing is my cell phone is always on airplane mode. Um, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just not on anymore because uh, I, I can actually sense, I can feel um, pain pretty much immediately when I turn the phones on. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, there's, there's smart meters, which is the, you know, either electric or gas utility meters on your house. Um, they used to be analog, you know, people used to come out once a month to see your usage. And they have since uh, converted to these smart meters that basically transmit. Well, it, it doesn't just transmit once a month, it transmits, you know, many, times a day, I mean, probably every minute or, or even less, um, it's transmitting. And so our bodies are, are just getting bombarded with this. And so in your immediate surrounding, um, you know, where you can turn things off, um, you know, like I, I don't have my printer on anymore because, you know, that that's also Wi-Fi. So um, I only turn it on if I, you know, have to print and I try to just connect really with a a direct cable. So any electronics, basically, you're saying that's where the signal is virtual should be shut off as much as possible. Yes. And, okay. and, when, and when you're sleeping at night, too, um, even the electrical wiring in our walls, um, you know, that, that's at either 50 or 60 hertz, which is 50 or 60 cycles per second, and it can radiate out from the wall several feet. And so, you know, just think about it, you know, most people have their head near the wall, you know, the headboard of the bed. And, um, you know, that's, that's another source of, um, you know, just creates massive damage. Um, and, and you see, and these are things that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, like, you know, so as much as we can then to minimize that, do some of the things you're suggesting to, to again, because of that element that we're, our body, like you said, that whatever you called it is trying to find a spot to connect on an, uh, an energy plane. And, and that's where the oxidative stress would get to. So as much as we can, because we are surrounded, mm -hmm. um, obviously, unfortunately, by these, you know, uh, satellites or those, um, yes. you know, those types of things, obviously, we, we have no control. So let's, let's then, so that's something that's ever increasing, something for people to, to, uh, 
think about and maybe start to think about making some changes. We'll, we'll uh, try to, um, if you could provide that link for that researcher, we would provide that resource okay. for him too. Uh, right. So let's talk a little bit now about um, the element of, now we know that we have to create that balance of alkalinity around the cells and and how nutrition plays into that. Now, I, I know the average person knows a lot about uh, things, but really let's talk about what you, you powered up with a lot of things that you must have been doing with your nutrition to get the outside or the, wherever that casing was more on the, more, more almost like a super uh, cell to, to get into your system to start to, to decrease or have these tumors disappear. So tell us a little bit about the element or your philosophy on nutrition and, um, and then some basics that we need to know, or even maybe somebody that's struggling um, with different disorders, what kind of things they might want to do more of. Right. And so, yeah, I radically changed my diet. Um, prior to getting my diagnosis, I pretty much ate everything. Um, and once I got that diagnosis, it was pretty immediate. I basically switched to an organic raw vegan diet. Um, and so I massively increased the amount of vegetables, um, sprouts, and I also ate them mostly raw because um, when you cook something that actually uh, destroys the, the enzymes that are in these plants. And if you think about it, you know, we're living beings. We, we actually, you know, our bodies operate off of enzymes for basically every function in the body almost. And so um, we really need th these enzymes. Um, so, uh, you know, temperature is really important because if you think about, you know, if we get a fever, you know, and it's like at about 105 degrees, that's when it becomes kind of dangerous because that's actually when our, you know, enzymes in our own bodies begin to denature, they fold, and so things don't, you know, work right anymore in a body. And so, so this 105 degrees is kind of important. That's where it all starts. Um, but by 118 degrees Fahrenheit, that's really when you get a total just destruction of these enzymes. And so I, I made that switch. I also added a lot of green juices, you know, like all those green drinks you saw me <laughs> drinking <laughs> at the conference. Um, yes. And the reason why is that it's interesting, these vegetables and green juices, that they're really higher, much higher in alkalinity. And mm -hmm. so it's actually bringing in, um, and, and this is just the really beautiful thing when you think about how nature works, you know, these plants are outside in the sun and they have chlorophyll, you know, in, in their leaves, which basically uh, receive sunlight um, mm -hmm. and, and it's the photons coming off of the sun. And, and so it's really, when we consume plants or, you know, juices, you're in essence, uh, bringing in more uh, electrons into your body. Mm -hmm. um, so that is how that shifts the pH. You know, I can, you know, if I, you know, measured my pH, you know, and, and people can do this, you know, you can buy these pH strips and you can either test your, your saliva or your urine and you can just take a look at it. You know, it's important to look like first thing in the morning after you slept all night and there's, you know, you kind of see what the metabolic uh, waste that your body has kind of gone through to, you know, repair itself. Um, if it's, you know, like you want it somewhere maybe around 6.7 or so, 6.75 on a pH scale. If it's lower, like five or four, that, you know, you're highly acidic. But if you drink some green juice and then you measure it again, you're going to see it shift. It's going to bring it into like seven. It's that, it's that immediate. It's, I wouldn't say it's immediate. I would say within maybe like, I don't know, 45 minutes, wow. an hour, wow. um, you can really see a shift. Mm. And so, so that's why I think it's really important. You, you really want to shift that, the, the inner mil milieu or the environment of, of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you know, like right now with, with all that's going on, you know, with this coronavirus, everyone's really, um, concerned about microbes and bacteria mm -hmm. and viruses, but the truth of it is, you know, our bodies actually have so much more bacteria. We're, we're more 
we have more bacterial cells than we have uh, human cells, which is, you know, and, and so, but, but they don't become pathogenic un until the terrain kind of warrants them, you know, shifting towards becoming more pathogenic, uh, you know, until that point, I mean, we're, we're living pretty much symbiotically, you know, with each other. I mean, and they provide a lot of useful functions. They help us to, you know, make vitamins um, mm -hmm, that we mm -hmm. need. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not like this, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we have almost like this uh, kind of a warlike mentality towards these, you know, tiny microbes. Yeah. And, and really, it's if we take care of the terrain of our bodies, then, you know, it, it will provide less opportunity for, you know, some sort of disease process to start. And we really, if you're talking about a lot of, you know, vegetables, you're talking vegetables, fruits, um, you know, eating as much raw as possible. Some people are probably freaking out thinking, oh my God, vegan, <laughs> that's hard <laughs> to go. Um, you know, so is, is meat something that you got away from for a reason? Um, or is it something that if, let's say, if you, if you have grass-fed um, meats, that that's also a viable option, like between the two? Yeah, I, I got away from meats and initially, I mean, I was terrified. I, you know, I was brought up like everyone else that, oh, you need to eat meat for protein. You need to drink milk for, you know, building healthy teeth and bones. But I was not ever what I would consider super healthy, you know, eating all that, even as a child. And what I noticed is that as soon as I switched, made that switch in my diet, a lot of the issues I had, even as a child, you know, like I used to get multiple canker sores in my mouth, like by the twenties and thirties, you know, as a little child. And I mean, it would be so hard for me to eat because it was just too painful. But, um, and I had seen all these doctors, they couldn't help me. You know, I, I saw oral, you know, pathologists, dentists, doctors, they would just give me um, painkillers to numb the pain. Mm. But when I made that switch, I was really shocked. I wasn't expecting that to happen, but I don't get those anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the thing with the meat is that meats can create excess acidity in the body because if you think about it, it's, it's really hard for the body to actually break down meat in, in the digestive process. You're going to have to actually increase, you know, your stomach acid and all that to, to break it down and meats at the time for the digestive process is a lot longer, you know, usually on the order of 72 hours versus, you know, the normal 24 hours, you know, for other, you know, like vegetables, for example. And so, um, you know, if your digestive system is not optimal and it takes, you know, on the order of days to break it down, just think about it. You have meat that's at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, the temperature of your body, you know, what's going to happen? There's, there's going to be a rotting, a fermentation going on within your body that releases all this toxic, you know, um, you know, elements. And if your body is not able to really get rid of it, it accumulates. Mm -hmm. And um, that can also be the start of this inflammatory process. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then milk, uh, you know, that it, it's kind of interesting it's just so counterintuitive because milk also increases the acidity in your body. And so actually it does not help your bones and teeth because when you create that acidity, it's going to leach, you know, calcium out of your, your bones. Um, out of your bones. So here it is like, you know, you've always heard that you need, you know, and I grew up in Trinidad where milk was not as big, but I came to North America and everybody drank milk. And I'm like, I just never took to it because I grew up, I drink, drank a little bit, but not a lot. And, uh, you know, so that's, you know, hear that, you know, you need this for your bones and your teeth. So the fact that you're saying that it actually seeps out the calcium is, is something that maybe the average person, if they're not knowledgeable, uh, about uh, the nutritional elements, uh, they wouldn't know something like this. Yes, and um, it's it's really kind of interesting because when you look at the countries that have like the highest rates of um, needing a hip replacement surgery, um, those are actually the countries that drink a high level of dairy. Um, interesting. You know, 
You don't see hip replacement surgeries like in some of these Asian countries where, you know, they don't drink milk or eat cheese. Um, right, and, right. And then the other thing about it um, that's interesting that I learned, you know, from having cancer is that, um, you know, milk is really what, you know, like, like the mother cow it, it uses to feed the baby cow to, you know, the calf to grow up into, a, you know, a full adult size cow. Um, so the hormones are optimized for that. There's growth hormones, um, you know, casein in, in, you know, these certain percentages that are really not fit for, you know, human consumption. You know, we need breast milk from our mothers, mm-hmm. not, not from another species. Um, and so this casein protein, um, there have been studies that show that that's been linked to cancer growth and metastasis mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So, yeah. So all this really, you know, this is all good information for people to take it in. Um, you know, so any, you know, I often say, you know, any shifts, like, like you said, with some of the information that you're sharing could potentially help you kind of get a hold of some of the, the potential um, acidity that you're putting into your system. Now let's talk about stress and kind of, you know, how that kind of compiles things. We've talked a little about about us being electrical beings and some of those things. Um, we talk a little bit about malnutrition and, and obviously uh, I think sometimes just more information about nutrition is helpful. I think sometimes there's so much information that people don't know which way to, to go. So thanks for sharing uh, what you've shared. Um, so let's, let's now talk a little bit about... Uh, stress or, you know, us ignoring kind of the signs and the signals that our body and our, our, our brain and our mind gives us and, and what you kind of also learned in your path around that and how that also impacts uh, the system uh, overall. Right. So, so stress, um, you know, and, and stress is like, if we look at it from an energetic kind of perspective, you know, with these electromagnetics, um, stress creates frequencies in our bodies that are not coherent. They're, they're dissonant. Um, and so what happens energetically is that this, these dissonant frequencies that don't support biological health are present in our field. And then that actually generates, um, you know, chemicals. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, I'll just give a more concrete example. I mean, if, if someone is stressed out, you know, let's say with, with this um, pandemic, they're, they're, they're afraid, you know, they don't want to contract it or, you know, it, it's stressful, you know, being locked in. We don't know, you know, how long we're going to be locked in and, you know, life, will it ever be the same? And so there's all these fears and, um, you know, fear creates this whole biochemical cascade in the body, you know, first, you know, the cortisol levels are going to increase, you know, your your adrenals are going to start pumping out that because it it senses that, hey, you know, there's something that uh, can threaten, is threatening. And, you know, the response, you know, usually is is fight, flight, or freeze. But Mm -hmm. in that cortisol is upregulated. And so what happens is, you know, um, that creates a hormonal imbalance. And, um, and, and so these are, these can all lead to, you know, once again, the whole inflammatory process. Um, and so, you know, and, and Candace Pert, you know, she, she wrote a book, you know, called Molecules of Emotion, kind of showing this really direct link between our emotions and, you know, the, the, the chemistry, what, what happens chemically in our body when we're feeling these emotions and there's so many scientists that are, you know, I think doing really good research nowadays, just with uh, looking at frequencies, the effect of, you know, if we were to instead think, um, you know, like through a crisis when something's happening, that the normal default I think is usually fear, but can we inf- instead shift towards looking at uh, the crisis through a lens of love versus fear, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, with my, um, when I had cancer, I, I kind of said, well, you know, rather than taking the, you know, like the war and cancer mentality and we have to, you know, poison the cancer out of the body, you know, with chemotherapy, um, 
I kind of asked myself the question, can I embrace this cancer for what it's going to show me? You know, the lessons that I can learn from this. This gives me an opportunity to really change my life. And so that's the same thing now with this crisis, you know, we're locked at home, but, you know, looking at the bright side of it, you know, how is, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe some people really have to search, you know, I know that people's livelihoods are kind of at stake, um, but there's always a silver lining to, Mm -hmm. to look at no matter how bleak, uh, the situation is. And if you can make that shift and say, this is happening for my good to help me, there's something I'm supposed to learn to help shape and mold me, my character, or, or maybe, you know, these habits that I had that were really bad, that was destructive to me. I have an opportunity now to change that and become healthier. Um, and when you can make that shift, then the frequencies, and, and they've been able to, you know, um, the the scientist from Japan, uh, Masaru Emoto. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, with the water, just, you know, when you think love, I mean, it creates these beautiful, um, right. symmetrical, you know, just um, water molecules. And, and I, I mean, I just think that's powerful. And you think that the fact that our bodies are probably about 70 to 80% water, just in, you know, our, our minds you know, it, it actually, they can measure that, you know, there, there's actually, you know, electromagnetic waves that come out of our thoughts. It can be mm-hmm. measured, actually. And so that has a direct impact on our body, how we think. So you shifted from, you know, the natural thing is everybody hears this big C word and they freak out and they go more mm-hmm. into fear, but you actually flipped it around and started to say, you know, how could I look at this as a gift of things I can learn? So did you, mm-hmm. do a, did you do certain mindfulness practices? Did you start doing yoga? Did you, you know, meditate? Or did you just kind of say, I'm just going to stay as present as, you know, obviously what you're talking about is mindfulness encapsulated, right? You know, looking at, okay, today I could look at the fact that uh, I didn't, you know, I went through a, a difficult treatment today, or I could say, well, I got through another day and count all the good things in the day versus folks focusing on maybe one of the difficult treatments that you had had. What other things did you do to really focus on that love concept? I did do mindfulness. In fact, that's when I first started learning. I, I took a class on mindfulness and um, I also started journaling. Um, I started, you know, just focusing on what are things that I'm grateful for You know, even Mm -hmm. if I don't feel well and I'm in pain, you know, the fact is I I woke up, I'm breathing. And Mm -hmm. as one of my doctors says, as long as you're breathing, you're more alive than you are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also, um, you know, worked with a therapist to to work Mm -hmm. through a a lot of the emotional, um, you know, issues that I had. You know, I was, was, you know, afraid of, of dying. Uh, I was afraid of, of suffering, of, of having pain, um, and, and just the sadness and, and grief, you know, just, I, I thought that, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to accomplish my dreams. I wouldn't be able to spend time with my family and loved ones. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, just having to deal with all of that in a way. And, you know, I got to a place where I was actually able to let go and, mm-hmm. and not hang on and when I let go, I, I just sensed this sense of amazing freedom because mm. at that point, it didn't matter whether I lived or die. Um, I, I sensed that, you know, um, the lessons that having cancer, those lessons that I learned, that was the most important thing. It, they, they were life lessons. And mm. so I was content, you know, at that point with whatever the outcome would be, you know, and, um, and I think that's something that we can all take with us, you know, just with, you know, this current crisis, the uncertainty, it's, it's trusting in the process um, Mm -hmm. that even though, you know, there's a lot of people that are talking about, you know, well, what's, what's actually happening, you know, was this um, something that's, you know, naturally occurring? Is this 
um, something created in the lab? Was it accidentally released? Was it mm -hmm. purposely released? You know, um, regardless of that, you know, whatever it is, wherever you fall on your beliefs on that, can you be present in the moment? Because it's when we start thinking about our futures and what this could all mean, that creates fear. And so one of the things that I think it's really important is developing an awareness. And that's what I developed when I had cancer was just getting a sense of, okay, I feel this in my body. What does it really mean? Because it's a language that the body is using to communicate with you. You know, if you have this headache, um, you know, are you experiencing tension? You know, do you have, um, you know, stiffness and, and pain in your, your shoulders and neck, which is where a lot of people carry tension, or maybe you have knots in your stomach or, you know, or difficulty digesting, bloating, gas after you eat. Um, these are all different signs and symptoms. And sometimes it may not be uh, a physiological reason as far as, you know, uh, there, there's some, you know, you're fighting some sort of, uh, you know, germ or something. Sometimes it could be just how you feel emotionally. You know, that's why, you know, when people are upset, often it's probably not the best time to eat, you know, yes, uh, you're not going to be able to digest your food um, because everything is just so intimately, you know, connected. And mm -hmm. so, um, when so the, the main pervasive thing is just to listen and to recognize that your body, you know, I often say, you know, and, and even more so today, just listening to you describe it as from a, from a person that's recovered, but also from a scientific view, it shows me the amazing uh, elements that our body has the capacity to do on an ongoing, how many things have to go right for us to be able to function in our body, right? That's the amazement that I'm listening to yes. you. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, and that it takes so much and it gives us so many opportunities to be able to create shifts, right? You know, like Absolutely. you said, if it's our, if it's our mind, if it's our, or if our tummy's flippy today, maybe it's something that I ate, or maybe I'm worried about something that's happened, or maybe I just listened to too much news today or, but mm -hmm. I think that re that reflection, right? So Biologically, obviously, there's certain things that we can do, like you said, to help, um, you know, accentuate what we have. There's actions that we can take. There's food that we can put it in, good nutrition that we can put, but also to deal with that, that, that moment to be able to, to learn that, you know, and most of us are not very good with, at it, at really stopping and teaching ourselves just to stay in the present, which is the most difficult things at any, for most of us to do. It is. It is. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we kind of let our minds run away. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because when I had cancer um, and, and I, I had, you know, I had such excruciating pain in my body that when they put me on this morphine IV, it didn't take any of the edge of the pain off. And so initially I was just, I was terrified because my body was actually convulsing involuntarily from the pain but then I remembered something that I heard from Deepak Chopra, who said that wherever you're feeling pain in your body, breathe into that space and send it love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And it took six hours of doing that, but it completely resolved the pain. Mm -hmm. um, and so this whole mind-body connection is mm -hmm. so strong. And, and I mean, so where you know, where the mind goes, the body kind of follows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're, we're following fear and like what you had talked about the news, you know, news can be um, kind of more slanted towards a lot of negativity. And so, um, so what I found when I had cancer uh, for probably like two years, I did not watch any news. Yeah. I totally just yeah. Yeah. backed away. Yeah. As much um, as you can. And I think that's something that's really valuable in this time. I, I get that we need to do certain elements of what's happening. And I'm not talking about being remiss to not having certain knowledge, but then to just check it if you need certain information and then turn it off. Yes. As much yeah. as you can. Well, Deanna, I, this has been tremendous. I enjoyed our, our conversation the first time and you've added so much more uh, wealth of wisdom uh, today. Thank you so much. So any last words that you want to share? And also I want you to, I'm sure people are going to have a lot 
um, more, they would love more information from you. Uh, tell people where they can reach you. And I think you wanted to offer something to anybody that's listened. Uh, you can tell them about that too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I just want to just say that, you know, no matter what's going on um, in your life, no matter how challenging things may be, uh, always have hope, you know, because if you can really remain present, you realize that there's just an infinite number of possibilities that can mm -hmm. happen out of any situation, any crisis, you know, there's always opportunity. And um, so, you know, hang on to that hope and stay present and, um, you know, seek out, you know, things that you can be grateful for, because I, I really believe that having a spirit, this attitude of gratitude, um, it changes, it changes everything just energetically within your body. Um, and I think that, you know, in case people are, you know, kind of home, you know, thinking about, um, you know, even potentially reinventing themselves um, in light of, you know, what's going on in our world. Um, I did create um, something called the Passion Journal, which is really to help people to get in touch with what, what your passion is, you know, what, what really makes your heart sing. Because I think that if you can, you know, spend your time doing that, um, you know, there's no stress. Um, you know, there's only gratitude for being able to do that, which brings you joy. And so um, people can uh, find me on my website, um, which is my name, deannawon.com, D-E-A-N-N-A-W-O-N.com. And um, I'll, I'll send you a link also. Um, awesome. Awesome. To post in the show notes for this journal. Well, thank you again. Your wisdom, your wisdom has just been amazing. And for everybody, I guess, what am I taking away? I'm taking away that our body has the intuitive knowledge. We just have to listen to all the great tips that Deanna gave today and start, even if you implemented one of what she shared with us today, one, maybe two, and, you know, progressively start to make a bit more changes as you go. You know that you're working with your body to keep in alignment. And the, the, then the body just naturally does its thing that uh, it's been doing uh, all our lives. So uh, for everyone, you know, uh, I'm a mental health and wellness specialist. I do keynote speaking, training, and consulting. If you're needing any information on me, I can be reached at roxannedurhodge.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.